Hey, Takeover Church, thank you so much for checking out today's message, whether it's on podcast or on YouTube. We are so grateful that you are here. We pray it blesses you and encourages you and that you will like, share, and subscribe across all Takeover platforms. We look forward to seeing you on Sunday. God bless. We love you guys. All right. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah. yeah. I have a special microphone because, well, me and my husband, because uh, we both are loud talkers. It's true. So we get the, we get the red one. In case you were wondering what Zach was looking for, he was looking for the green one, which is not as, or it's, it's quieter, or louder than the red one. I just want to take a minute, and I wanted to uh, read this praise card, because Zach apparently didn't want to read it because it was a little mushy. Is Sienna in here? Whoa. Where's she at? She's a kid's date. Say it loud for Okay, I just need to, I need to read this really quick. It says, I want to wish a very happy birthday to my incredible wife, Sienna Marie. You are my wonder woman. You are the most amazing mother, and I thank God for you every day. I love you so, so much. Yeah. I love it, I love it. If you don't know how she is in kids this morning, and you have got to get to know her because she's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. come on. All right, are we excited to be here today? Oh, yeah. Yes. I'm, I'm excited go. to um, be bringing the word this morning. Um, we've had an incredible series going on, the Dynamis series. And as I was getting ready to prepare for this, I had a lot going on in my mind. I was I was thinking a lot about what the world is looking like right now because there's some crazy stuff going on, some changes that are that are coming down the pipe. And um, thinking of our church, the future for our church, what this community looks like, how good it is to be a part of such an incredible community, yeah. and personally, what it is that God is doing in my own life, what He's speaking to my spirit what he was challenging me to, to impart to you this weekend. So I want to take a minute. I want to pray over the message. I want to pray over our time together. Does that sound good? Yeah. All right. Jesus, thank you so much, Father, for being so present in this room. Thank you for every single person that is here. Thank you that, God, you are moving. You are doing some incredible things. As, as the world gets crazier, Lord, your people just get more buck wild for you. Yeah. Lord, your spirit, we just pray that it would fill this place, that it would fill your people's hearts, Jesus, that people would be drawn to this place, not for the glory of man, but for the glory of you, Father God. We are doing all of this for you, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Come on. Alright, so, um, we, in this series, Matt, well, not in this series, but eight months ago, Matt talked about how our church, our body, was ready. We weren't going to be just getting milk anymore. Right. We, were, we were ready for meat. We were ready to, to bite into some, some crazy stuff here. And as he, as he said, he has delivered on his, his promise. Because the messages have been incredible. And they've been challenging. And everyone has been applying them to their lives. We've been seeing some crazy stuff popping on. Yeah. And, in this, and in this series in particular, we've been stirring ourselves up. We've been getting spiritually shredded. And we've been preparing ourselves to combat or to engage a very challenging future yeah. for Christian people. Come on. Right? There are people who are, are hungry for Jesus. This world is just ready for revival. And we are getting shredded, kind of like this guy over here, the muscle guy. He's <laughs> getting shredded like that by the inside. But inside. Tyler? Yes, getting shredded like Tyler. Kyle, sorry. I'm also like a little hard of hearing. Sorry, Kyle. Sorry to embarrass you, dude. Um, you got nice guns, but um, so that's what you should be looking like on the inside, right? So with the first message, Matt talked about dwelling. 
So we're soaking it up. We're getting we're getting spiritually saturated. In the next message, talk about unity amid God's people brings about God's ability. And then the last one, faith gives us the God side. Come on. So um, he reminded us last weekend that church is not called to falter to culture. In fact, we should be setting up the culture as the world should be living it. And unfortunately, it's not that way. It's kind of, it's reversed right now. Um, culture is doing some crazy stuff, right? Yeah. I, 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 what is going on? I have no idea half of the time. Um, but it's, it is nasty. There is, there is an, a rottenness that is going on inside of our culture that people are embracing as truth that is very scary. It's very scary for us as a people. It's very scary for our children. It's very scary for everyone in general, there's there's some very very weird stuff going on. So that that kind of brings us to like, what is actually wrong with culture? What what is out of place? What is out of whack? Well, a lot of things are out of place. I would hazard to say that one of the primary factors that is missing in our culture today is obedience. Right. And you hear the word obedience, and you're like, obedience? What? That's kind of an archaic word that doesn't really apply to culture today. That's my point. Yeah. is that our culture is so out of whack that obedience is seen as something that is like, ugh, that's for nerds. Obedience is for nerds. But it's not. It's so applicable to our generation now and to the, the greater human story at large. Um, we, we have been in a place where obedience has been so ignored that it has led us down the path of self-destruction. And if we want to curb that, if we want to change what we're seeing in our generation, obedience is going to take faith, trust, humility, and a servant's heart. All of those things together with obedience are going to lead us into where we need to see the world, where we need to see this generation going. Um, so obedience, we, we think of... Where, where did this issue of obedience start? Well, if you start at the very beginning when God created the earth, he created man and he created woman in his image, and he said, this is good, this is great. And then he gave them the whole earth and all the animals in it, and he said, this is for you, so do it. Be blessed. You can eat from every tree in this garden except the tree of knowledge. And what did Eve do? She was kind of a dummy. She ate from the tree, and we have the very first sin, which is, in fact, an act of disobedience. It was humans saying, I don't want to listen to God anymore. I want to be God in my own life. I want to be able to say what's right and what's wrong. I want to be able to make my own rules. I don't want to obey. So there you have it. The, hu the human struggle with obedience begins in earnest. And then we can follow that down through human history to a lot of painful stuff. When we get to the point where Israel has just come out of Egypt and Moses is giving them the Ten Commandments. Which, if there's a command, if there's a rule, we're called to obey. Right. And it, he's so serious about it. God is so serious about imparting these ten commandments, which are very basic. They're very basic things, but they're good. But they're so basic that, I mean, obviously there was a lot of stuff going on, but they were still required. We, we, we would think about, okay, like, don't murder. Sure, yeah, that's pretty basic. But people were doing it, and doing it enough that it needed to be written on a stone tablet. Yeah. So that time could not touch it, so that it would be there forever. Yeah. And here he is in Deuteronomy 
And he is pleading with Israel to please just listen to what these say. If you can take these 10 things, that is an awesome start to you having a blessed and fruitful life. He says, see, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love your Lord, your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Come on. Moses has led them through this crazy stuff. They've seen insane things. And he is just begging and pleading with them because he knows that he's not going to be there forever. And he, he has kind of at this point been their moral compass. He's the one who talks to God. He, he tells them what God is saying. And sometimes they choose to listen. That's ridiculous. So he knows that he's not going to be there forever. He's actually, he's getting older. He's about to die. And he's saying, please, please, please pay attention to these things. They will bless your life. So we, we switch that focus from then a long, long time ago, and we bring that up to now, and we see this pervasive need in the world for people to be rebels without a cause. Mm. Has everybody seen that movie, 1955, James Dean, Rebel Without a Cause? Oh, yeah. No. You've seen it. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. weird. I can't say it was great, but um, it's a classic. Baseball I guess it's a classic. Um, but it's about this angsty teenager who is just striking out in violence out of a desire to be understood. And it goes on to describe a rebel without a cause could be described as one who fights the good fight for the sake of the fight, but has no clear goal to achieve. Wow. Kind of sounds like the world right now. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of America. Sounds like a lot of Hollywood. Sounds like a lot of these weird cultural things that are being pushed on us. It sounds like people are striking out just to strike out not because they have any clear goal in mind. That's not all of the world, but that's a vast majority right now, I would say. So the culture, the banner of our culture is to obey no one. It's pretty much what we're getting. We're getting not your parents, don't obey your parents, don't obey the doctor, don't obey the government, don't obey women in your life, don't obey the patriarchy, whatever that is, don't obey an archaic god. Right. That is what culture is saying. Just do your own thing. Let fly, fly your own flag. Your truth is your own truth. It has become natural for us not to obey. It has become a first reaction for us when we engage something that is challenging for us to not obey. It's, it's natural for us to rebel. And in human history, it has also been okay not to obey humans at times. It's never been okay to not obey God. God is, is right all the time. But in history we have seen where there have been times where we've had to push back, where we've had to rebel. One very good example, the Nazis. No good, trying to take over the planet, trying to kill a bunch of people, trying to erase Jesus' chosen people off the face of the planet. That was a good, good time to rebel, to push back. Right. Another time, um, one group of people tries to tell another group of people that they are less than human and worthy of slavery. That is another good time to push back. Right. Excellent time to push back. Both of these, both of these things are all man-made, by the way. There hasn't been one time in the history of creation that God has been wrong. Come on. And there has been a chance for us, or a reason for us, not to obey him in his wisdom. He created creation. He created us. He knows what's best for us. Right? Yeah, come on. So 
we do know how to push back. Unfortunately, it's not always where we should be pushing back. Come on, come on. And, and, it's, and these things sound like God makes it very easy for us to trust him in a practical way. There's a lot of ways that this can be applied very easy. And that brings me to my first point of practical obedience. And what does that look like? Practical obedience is looking at and listening to the will of God. It means reading your Bible, and it means applying those things, those truths, to your life. That's all that there is to practical obedience. We can most often see it as an equation where we can see both the beginning and the end of the equation. That is practical obedience. Yeah. Um, don't steal. Don't go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> don't shoot somebody. Don't commit murder. Like, don't go to jail. You know what I mean? Like, we can see the beginning and the end of the equation before even entering in to the equation. You guys better be taking notes because I'm talking about equations. It's about as mathematical as you'll ever see me get Okay? So, you know, if you have a question about, you know, I'm really struggling with pornography, is that wrong? I'm, you know, here and there I lie about things, is that wrong? And, you know, I'm, I'm contemplating just like taking this money that isn't mine, is that wrong? Well, you can, you can crack open your Bible and you can see that it says, um, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery, which is any kind of sexual sin outside of marriage, and you shall not give false testimony. Don't lie. So any of those questions that you have, because those are questions that some people have, the answer can be found right in the Bible. Right. It's pretty basic stuff, but we don't have to experience the sin of stealing to know that the result of that evil is death in our lives. Maybe not physical death, but death to areas in our lives. Yeah, Practical obedience is saying, I choose your wisdom, God, over my own. Ooh, come on. I choose your wisdom, creator of the world, over what the world is trying to jam down my throat come every on. single day. He created it, like I said, he knows what's best for it. And I think the Bible is so, God is so often related to a shepherd in the word. And that is, that is good. Sometimes people struggle with that because they're like, oh yeah, God's a shepherd. That means we're sheep and sheep are dumb. And I don't really think that sheep are dumb. No. As much as they just consistently are in need of good leadership. Wow. That's, that's all that it means. Wow. It means that they find themselves in a place where they consistently need the help of a leader to help them live their best Come lives. Come on. They're not stupid. They just need a good shepherd. Their flocks must be tended to because, like I said, they're in desperate need of a good leader. And it can be challenging at times to submit to a shepherd, but they do because a shepherd knows what's best. A shepherd can see the entire equation, the entire scope. He sees it all. He has the wisdom and knowledge to lead and guide. And in Psalms 23, which we all have read before, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I like nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Come on. So, so good. Shepherd protects, feeds, soothes, heals, corrects, and cares for his flock while caring for the individual. And I think that sometimes people have like this romanticized 
vision of, of what that looks like. They see, they see Jesus, white Jesus, long flying hair, white Jesus, and these fluffy little happy sheep, and they're in this green pasture. That's not actually what that looks like. Um, Shepherd would be sweaty and dirty, probably have some burrs in his hair, and really tan. Jesus is not a white guy. He's a Middle Eastern guy, and he has these sheep, and these sheep are rank. They're like stinky, and they definitely need help. They're just rough looking. But he's tending to them, he's caring for them, he's meeting every single one of their needs. This was something that I, I learned from a sheep farmer, was that when sheep eat, they actually have to lay down and then to digest. So they have to chew their cud, they have to fully digest their cud before they go and they drink water. If they do not do that, and they go and they drink water, they will, they will become bloated and they will actually die. <laughs> they will like explode and die. It's really painful, it's really terrible, and they obviously not good, right? You, they, they accidentally kill themselves. Not great. A shepherd knows that if a, a sheep has eaten, he must make that sheep lay down before they go and they get a drink of water. So where it says he lies with dogs, you know, besides still waters, he is making them take a break. He's making them rest. He's leading them before they accidentally kill themselves. Wow. And it's it there have been obviously there's the shot the flock can be big. The shepherd cannot always get to a sheep in time to do this, and if they if they do this and they become bloated, a shepherd has to take this really sharp, hollow instrument and jam it through their side, between their ribs, into their stomach to release the pressure that's building up inside and, and killing them. So that hurts. Correction hurts, right? Correction can, wow. can hurt. It can be it can be painful. It doesn't always feel good, but he is going to make us lie down. He is going to lead us down the right paths. And though it says in the scripture that his rod and his staff comfort me, not only does his rod and staff protect us, he uses that for correction. Yeah, come on. Like, we have to be corrected. And it might be going pretty far, but I have to say that we have to get to a place where we are grateful for that correction. For some of us, it's not even just, we're not ready to be grateful for it. We need to be open to correction. So that's a good question for everybody in this room. Are you open to correction? Do you have a spirit of teachability? Just think inside, okay? Just as you go into the week, just think, does that apply to me? If you answer it like this, probably should think about it a little bit more. (laughs) A little bit more. It's extremely important to be teachable in the world at large and especially in the Christian faith. We want to be growing. We want to be be better. We want to be more like Jesus every single day. And that means we have to come to love correction because we understand that that is what is best for us. The shepherd understands it, and we have to understand what the shepherd understands. Um, I met this religious guy with this uh, Christian Reformed pastor when I was a teenager, and I, I really love poetry. And he was this old guy, and he was really cool. Um, they had these gigantic white dogs with really long fur, and his wife would like groom them, and then keep the fur, and then make that fur into thread, and then she would knit with it. And make these hats and mittens and stuff, and it was really cool. It was actually, it sounds weird, but it was cool. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> But um, this guy was cool, and he was like, oh, you like poetry, and I have this book of poems. 
his name was Clifford. And uh, of course it was. But I, I asked my dad, I was like, hey, do you remember that guy? And he was like, oh yeah, Cliff. And I was like, oh yeah, Cliff. So apparently he went by Cliff. And his name was Clifford Bajmont. And he wrote this book, Sinews of Fleece, that I've literally carried around since I was a teenager. It's amazing. And he has this one poem in the book um, he writes from the perspective of a sheep about being a sheep and the shepherd. And he says, but deep inside, I know well enough that grazing through life's pastures without your severe mercy is suicide. Obedience and correction rarely feel good, but they are so desperately needed. There are areas in our life that need to be corrected, that need to know that God's awareness of that means that correction will come, and we need to be open to that. Um, if you have, I don't know, if you have anxiety in your life because the world stresses you out, I, I don't blame you, um, but you're using substances to, to numb those anxieties, that doesn't make, it doesn't make the problem go away, it just numbs you to the problem. Right. Where God wants you to, he wants to heal us, he wants to heal us of the anxiety that we're feeling because of those problems. He wants us to have an understanding, a God-like sight, of the reality of those problems. Because if we saw it the way God sees it, we wouldn't be stressed out, right? We wouldn't have the anxiety that we had. Come on. Um, oh, geez, maybe you're dating someone, and she's amazing. And, and you have been, you've been wanting to date this person forever, and you're dating them, and gosh, she's so cool, and she's, she's everything you wanted, except she's not a believer. And you're like, oh, I can work around that. I can work around that. That's okay. And but every time you're with her, you feel like a dampening of your faith. Wow. And the truth, the correction on the other side of that is that God wants you to be with someone you're equally yoked with. Come on. He wants you to be with someone who knows you and sees you as He sees you, and who is who makes you better than you were already. That's The last one I have is oh man, this is a good one. Um, maybe your job has become an idol in your life. Maybe you are so bent on climbing the ladder that you, everything else has gone by the wayside. Your health, not paying attention to it because this job is, is an idol in your life. So you're doing everything you can to sacri sacrifice yourself for this job. Yeah. You aren't taking care of your family. You have no balance in your life whatsoever. This thing is an idol and it's crushing you. The correction on the other side of that is that God gives balance. When he is the focus, everything else will fall into alignment. Wow. That is the correction on the other side of that. Wow, that's great. Again, like I said, making these adjustments, it doesn't feel amazing all the time. Getting a, a sharp thing poked in your side because you accidentally drink water without fully digesting, saves your life, doesn't feel good, right? Yeah. Doesn't feel good. And there will come a day, God willing, that we will rejoice to be corrected. Yeah. We sang about joy in the battle this morning, and that is what that looks like. Right. The joy coming from him being for us, but also the joy in him correcting us. Wow. So does practical obedience, like I mentioned, does that unleash this dynamis power that we've been talking about? And the short answer to that is no. Practical obedience is for us. It saves us, it keeps us well. It, it is a guide for our lives for us to have a good life. But to, to tap into that dynamis power, 
that something else is required. Practical obedience puts us on the right path so that we have the faith to then step into something I call radical obedience. Wow. Wow. So we've got the practical obedience down and we're choosing God's will over our own, we can then begin to lean into radical obedience that's required to tap into dynamis and the revival that we are all so desperate to see consume our world. Oh, come on, come on. And now I talked about the mathematical thing with the equation, right? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't really mathematical, but I'm going to call it mathematical. Um, and like I said, practical obedience, we can see the beginning and the end of the equation. With radical obedience, and this is what terrifies people, is that you very rarely can see the beginning, and very rarely can you see the end of the equation, okay? Yeah. Sometimes you can see the beginning. You can see the beginning of what God is asking you to do, but you have zero idea of where that's going to take you. That takes faith and trust in that servant's heart and a lot of humility, right? We talked about the Holy Spirit so many times being present in us and empowering us to do some just buck-wild, crazy stuff. Yeah. But to walk in radical obedience, this dynamis power, this God power, that is absolutely required. So what does that look like? I'm going to do a, a basic illustration, and then I'm going to do some cray-cray illustrations. So a basic illustration for what this could look like is that you're talking to a workmate at work, and she's telling you about life and everything, and she starts to mention that she's had some really weird pain in her, her elbow, and um, that she's not sure what it is, but it won't go away. And uh, you feel that prick in your spirit that you should pray over them. You should lay hands on them, and you should pray over them. So, you feel the sense in your spirit that God is asking you to extend faith and pray over this person. So, you can choose to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, or you can choose to decline because of the social pressures of praying over a workmate in the office. Right? Right, right. So, that is a very basic example where we still have the choice to be obedient or not. The Holy Spirit is still leading us. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is still giving us that gentle tug yeah, to do what he's calling us to do. I just finished this book, Tramp for the Lord, by Corey Tenbu. And if you don't know who she is, we're going to show you a picture. She's a real cutie. What's the Tramp for the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Tramp for the Lord. That's, that's that little cutie right there. She's a, she's a little Dutch lady. Um, I'm Dutch. I'm the taller, bigger variety. She was the littler, smaller variety. Um, she was amazing. And if you're Dutch, that's cool. We should hang out. And if you're not, you're still cool. We should still hang out. Um, but I did bring some candies that are, it says Dutch on them. So I'm going to pass these out. Tyler, you can share those. I am not promising these taste good. Okay? Allie, there we go. Oh, oh sorry. There's no mouse ring. Okay, these ones are, I don't know what's up with these. There's some banana, like, monkey head ones. There's Scotty. And then these ones are fruit mounties. Over there. Oh, Eli. Nice. So anyways, enjoy those. And uh, she has this, she has this book that she wrote called The Hiding Place, which talks in depth about her hiding Jews in this in this hiding place in her home in um, the Netherlands when the Nazi occupation was, was taking over, right? 
So I, I don't think it's an accident that I started to read her. Are they gross? They're just awful. <laughs> yeah, they're bad. God bless you. Um, I'm sure Corey loved them. But um, she she wrote this second book called Tramp for the Lord that took place after um, her her time in the concentration camp, where she went around the world and she told everybody about Jesus. Yes. And I don't think it was an accident that I read this Tramp for the Lord while I was preparing this message because a ton of it was about obedience and radical obedience. And like I said, she was this Dutch lady and in her 50s when she and her family were hiding Jews in the wall in their home, um, she got sent to a concentration camp. And as you can imagine, it was literal hell on earth. She was treated brutally by her captives. She, the horrors that she saw were, I mean, insane. She describes them, but they're, they're, they're nightmarish. And everywhere she went, because she was shipped to and moved around a ton while she was in concentration camps, she preached the gospel of Jesus. And she actually had this tiny little book that was a few chapters of the New Testament that she wore on a cord around her neck that she would flip to wear on her back underneath her clothing so that any time that she was patted down or or searched or anything, they would find this Bible. And she was able to go and share this with hundreds and hundreds of women before they went to a gas chamber and they died. Wow, wow. And um, she actually, she was released, which she found out was a clerical error. Um, later on, which to us, there are no errors. Like, that was absolute Jesus. And she went and she knew that after she had survived this crazy thing, that God had worked inside of her, that she was meant to go out into the world and talk about forgiveness and healing and faithfulness and obedience. And she wrote this book, Train for the Lord, and she called Train for the Lord because... She lived out of a suitcase, and I mean, she was an old lady. She was like in her 60s and all the way up into her like 80s when she was still traveling around out of the suitcase and sleeping on all these uncomfortable beds, she said. Um, and uh, personally, I think she could have named the book Rebel for the Lord, because that's, that's catchier, and uh, <laughs> she was definitely a rebel because she went to places where people told her not to go where it was not safe for her to go. And she talked to people that were not fit to be talked to according to everyone else. And she shared the gospel of Jesus everywhere she went. And at one point, she this was just after World War II, the Holy Spirit told her, like that tug I talked about for like praying over your workmate, spoke directly to her because she was in such conversation with the Holy Spirit all the time. It was like constant communication for her. She was led to go to America to share what she had experienced via the Holy Spirit. So she has enough money to get there. She has zero money to stay and zero money to come back. So they used to have these things called the YMCA. It was very different back then. And you could stay there if you did not have, right, if you did not have money to stay anywhere else. You could stay there pretty affordably. But you could only stay there for a week. And when she got there, that first week went by like that. The stuff that she thought was going to happen, that she was trusting the Lord for, didn't in that first week. She was like, what am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. I have no idea where I'm going to go. 
on the very last day when she had when she was getting ready to leave, she had no idea where she was gonna go. She was literally gonna be put out on the street. She received a letter to an address to the address that she was saying that she had given to no one. She had not given this address to anybody. It was from a Jewish lady, a Jewish Christian, who wanted her to come stay with her for the next five weeks and for her ministry to continue. And from there it was like a firecracker. She just went everywhere and she was going to all these churches and sharing with all these groups about the love of Jesus. And she had the faith to step out, but she had no idea at the end of the equation. She couldn't, she couldn't see right. what was going to happen. And right. miraculous things just kept happening like this, like this, like this. Yeah. Impossible situations, which I'm gonna share with you, just kept happening for her. She was willing to be radically obedient to the call of God that empowered her to go places and to show people the love of Jesus that never would have experienced the touch of Jesus yeah. ever in their lives. Yeah. Um, at one point, God's directions, this is crazy to me, were so specific to her that he gave her the flight path that she was meant to go on, where she was meant to go flight-wise for her ministry. She was, she was supposed to take a flight from Hong Kong to Sydney, then to Auckland, and then back to Sydney, on to Cape Town, to Tel Aviv, and then finally to Amsterdam. That was, that was what she had prayed for, that was what God told her and imparted to her. So she goes to the traveling agency and she sets this whole thing up. She tells her the exact same flight path that she's supposed to be on. The, the gal understands, sets her up with it, she gets back to her room and she looks at the ticket and the girl had made a mistake and was sending her from Sydney to Cape Town to Tel Aviv. Uh, no, she hadn't sent her that. She was sending her instead from Sydney to Tel Aviv and then to Cape Town. So she goes to the phone, and she calls this gal, and she says, um, why have you changed my schedule? My chief has told me I must first go to Cape Town, and then after that, it's Tel Aviv. However, you have changed the sequence. God is my master, and I must obey him. Wow. Um, and uh, this, this flight attendant, she clearly was, or whatever, not flight attendant, travel agency gal, she was quite young, she was kind of rude. She was like, God made a mistake. <laughs> and then she said, there's no direct flight from Australia to Africa. And there is no island in the Indian Ocean for a plane to land and refuel. And that is why you must go land in Tel Aviv and then go down to Cape Town. So Corey gets off the phone and she's just like, oh, Jesus. She goes right into prayer. She's like, Jesus, if I heard you incorrectly, please tell me. And if not, then I need you to make a way for this thing to happen because that is what you told me. So an hour later, the girl calls her back and says, did you really pray for an island in the Indian Ocean? <laughs> Before she could answer, she said, I just received a telegram from Qantas Australian Airline that they had become, this <laughs> makes me hear some um, that the airline has begun to use the Cocos Islands for refueling station and beginning tomorrow, wow. we'll have a direct flight from Sydney to Cape Town. Dude, she freaking prayed for an island in the ocean for refueling and got like, uh, just pops up. The bear, I shouldn't have And the dynamic power go. of God moving that powerfully, it is just mind-blowing. She was on fire for the Lord. Dunamis was her middle name. It was her breakfast. It was her lunch. It was her freaking dinner. She was so hype on the Lord. And she was supernaturally propelled, just like a shot out into the world, 
to change thousands and thousands of lives for the Lord, of, for the Lord that we all know and love, that is Jesus. And the most important part of the equation was her willingness to do what God was calling her to. Yeah, yeah. It didn't mean that she always felt confident. And she shared that openly in the book. She would wind up in a place like Argentina and she'd be like, and no Espanol, you know, yeah. barely any English. Like she, she had no idea what she was doing there. And she'd just be like, Lord, did I hear you correctly? And then some rando across the street would be like, Cory Boom, Cory Boom, come home with me. Not even kidding you. And it would just like pop off like that. She was just so willing to be used. Yeah. But she never was not, I think she was always like a little astonished at what God was doing. Yeah. Because again, like I said in the beginning, like it's hard for us to always be obedient, right? It's hard for us to just put our own desires in the background. But she did time and time again. This last story I want to share was when she was trying to go into East Berlin. She, she was in her late 60s at this point, and she got stopped at this checkpoint, Charlie, and uh, she'd been blacklisted in Germany. I mean, go figure. Uh, she, had, she had gotten out of a concentration camp, she just spread the, the good news, and uh, they hated her. And um, communism was a big deal in East, Ber East Berlin. And uh, she gets stopped at this checkpoint, and she's getting just abrasively interrogated by this soldier and his typist, and they're typing down everything that she's saying. And she just begins to just like cringe internally because the window that she has to do her ministry work, very, very small window. And this whole interrogation thing is like really eating into it. So she becomes frustrated and she starts to talk to Jesus about it. She's like, what am I doing? I'm wasting my time. I have to get in here. I have to see these, these ministers that are over here and I have to talk to them. Like this is just, what am I doing? I'm, I'm wasting all this time. And she says here, and slowly it came to my stubborn Dutch mind that God had us in the guard office for, purpose he, for the purpose of that he not only loved the Christians in East Berlin, but he loved the communist guards as well. And that included this man and his typist. So then, when she had that revelation inside of her, she was obedient to the will of God, she was able to take that conversation that she was having and redirect it. She said, suddenly my attitude toward the officer changed. Instead of an enemy, I saw him as one whom Christ died for. Wow. Now I answered every question, testifying to my faith in Jesus, and it became almost a game. I asked the officer, do you ever read the Bible? And he says, no, I'm a Marxist. I don't read the Bible. <laughs> and then she said, the Bible was written especially for Marxists. It says that God so greatly loved Marxists, he gave his only begotten son, that every Marxist who believed in him shall not perish Come on. and have eternal life. She was unwilling to waste a single moment yeah. of her life on. here on earth. And she's a perfect example of someone who is making themselves available to be used by God. Come on. And that can be a little challenging to, to relate to directly, which is why I've talked about so many different illustrations here. But all of us are being called to that same amount of dynamics and radical obedience in our own personal spheres. If we're at school, if we are at work, wherever, God is calling us to that same amount of obedience. Come on. There are people that are just waiting for you to ask them to come to church. You've got neighbors on your street who are just waiting for you to invite them. Yeah. You have people in your own family who are literally watching you and the way that you are engaging with Christ in your life. And it, it is changing them. They're feeling challenged by it. And they might not be saying it, yeah. but it is it is happening. Yeah. Believe it is happening. Yeah, come on. If you pray to understand and to know more, God will let you see. He will 
pull back that curtain, he will let you see some of that stuff that's going on. So then you remain encouraged and you push on forward. Yeah. Major difference between practical obedience and radical obedience is that practical obedience, like I said, is for saving ourselves. Radical obedience is for saving others. Wow. Radical obedience is that thing that we must do to, to get others to experience the love of God. Come on. And we, I have this whole big part in um, We look at God as, as a child does a father, right? And we, we trust our father because they have all the answers in the world. Do you remember being a little kid and just like having that trust? Like, you know it. You know that they have all the answers in the world. You know that they're never wrong. Or that's, that's what you feel, like, in your innocence as a child. Unless you're Scott Fletcher, and then you're very naughty. There's no hope for you. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I put that in there because I thought your parents were going to be here, and then it makes you laugh. But anyways. <laughs> anyways, we all remember that sense of, of protection and not having to have things figured out. Very practical obedience, doing what they're telling us to do. That was for our protection, and that was because they loved us. Now, radical obedience, being about saving others, God calls us to be his love in the world, that we are being motivated by his spirit to show the love of Christ to those around us. Sometimes it's really basic. Sometimes it's super complex. Worship team, you can come on up here. Um, but every time, it is going to be a natural leaning out of the heart. If we're in direct communication with God, the Holy Spirit is active inside of us. That is a conversation where we are just naturally going to start to feel led. Yeah. One of the things that came to mind is, I don't, for some reason, if you have experienced an abusive relationship, if you, if you have been through and are on the other side of an abusive relationship, a natural leading for your heart might be for someone else that you see now that's in an abusive relationship. That's a natural leading of your heart by the Holy Spirit to become activated in their life and bless them and help revive them and restore them yeah. as what they're going through. Does that mean it'll be easy? Absolutely not. You're probably going to have to re-engage a lot of hurt feelings, a lot of things that you've experienced, a lot of pain and brokenness, but you've seen God get you through it and now you're able to step in and help someone else get through it and to the other side. Yeah, Does that sound good? That's good. Yeah. Radical obedience, I mean... Could look like cutting a check for five grand to the church because you want to see the kingdom built. That takes a lot of faith and radical obedience because that five grand could go to a lot of other places, but you've chosen to be obedient and used by God. You're going to do what He tells you to do. And you're going to see Him bless that faithfulness. We've literally seen that in this church. We've seen God bless that faithfulness. It could also look like Corey traveling the world and talking to people that you never would have imagined you would have ever met in communist Russia or wherever. This is all, this is an area that all of us can grow in. It's becoming more receptive and more obedient to God's tender guiding. We, have, we may have to do some weird and uncomfortable stuff, and that's just a part of being a Christian. Nobody wants to be that weird, quote-unquote, weird Christian. But if that was the normal, it wouldn't be weird. So make it a normal. Come on. Come make on. obedience, radical obedience, a norm in your life and in your children's life and in the workplace and in your family. You can do this. We can do this. We can be the beginning of this change. In John 
John 14, 23, it says, Jesus replied, All who love me will do as I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey. It is not a popular thing to be obedient, but I would say it is an essential thing to be obedient. And if we want to be a rebel, we should be a rebel for the Lord. Come on. Does that sound good? Yeah, come on. Or a tramp for the Lord, whatever. Whichever one you want to be, okay? A rebel or a tramp. <laughs> Alright, if you guys just want to stand up, I'm going to lead us in a bit of a prayer, and then we're going to close in a song of worship. Does that sound good?
Because if we trust, we will follow and we will be obedient to your call when we hear the shepherd's voice.